Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the book, according to, or the book of Ruth, the first chapter. My dear friends in Christ, it is always fascinating for me to look at Ruth. She is literally nothing special. She is, in fact, a pagan when we meet her. And it's kind of weird, too, and it always strikes me as weird to hear Naomi kind of try to convince her to return back to paganism. It's just this weird book that's stuck in, in the middle of these historical books of the Old Testament. And, and you kind of wonder, you know, why is it even there? I mean, have you asked that? Again, she's nothing really all that special, it seems. And she doesn't do anything all that special. In fact, the rest of the book is mainly concerned with how she's able to financially get land for Naomi. I mean, it's almost a book on economics, like old Israel economics. Why is this here? You got to remember, Ruth is here. Because she is with Boaz, the parent of Obed, who gives birth to Jesse, who gives birth to David, who all the way down the line gives birth to Mary, who gives birth to the Christ. Ruth is here to show us how God uses even the most unlikely to bring about his means. I mean, it's the same in the gospel lesson. If you notice that, there's ten lepers. Now, first of all, you got to start with the idea that these men are lepers. No one should be around them. They are ceremonially unclean. Yes, they, it's kind of a gross disease. Yes, nobody actually wants to touch a leper. I'm pretty sure that even though leprosy today is wildly treatable, that if you encountered someone with leprosy, you'd be pouring on the hand sanitizer after you shook their hand. Back then, when you didn't understand how it worked, how it went, how you could solve it, it was bad. On top of that, though, God says anyone with leprosy has to be declared unclean. They're not allowed to be part of the community of Israel until their leprosy disappears. Leprosy for so many of these men and women were, was kind of a death sentence. And so not only did they have a death sentence, but now they couldn't even go to the temple to make their sacrifices. And so they see this Jesus, these outcasts, these people that no one should be around. And instead of crying, what they're commanded to cry by the law is unclean, unclean, meaning stay away. They cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon us. And God is going to use these ten lepers to bring about what he desires to bring about, which is to show his healing power and his mercy on those whom he will have mercy. So Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest, which was the prerequisite to being back allowed into the community. And amazingly, the ten lepers believed Jesus' word, and they went and showed themselves to the priests, except for one who turned around, and he went to the true priest, Jesus, 
and gave thanks to him because on their way, their leprosy disappeared. But this man was something different. In the eyes of Israel, he was nothing special. He was a leper and worse, he was a Samaritan. And yet God shows us in this Samaritan now healed leper that he has something greater in mind to show you than just the fact that he can heal. But that we indeed need to give thanks in all circumstances, no matter who we are or where we come from. And so it is with Ruth. Ruth is taken as a wife by probably Chilion, I would imagine. That's kind of at least what I've been able to find, because it doesn't exactly say which of the brothers was her husband, but I'm guessing it was Chilion. She's taken as a wife there in Moab. They had fled Israel because of a famine. They went to a land where there was food. It happened to be a pagan nation. Every nation that was outside of Israel worshipped gods that did not belong to the one true God. And so Naomi had grown up a pagan. I'm sorry, excuse me. Ruth had grown up a pagan. Naomi and her family were able to preach the gospel of God to these women, Orpah and Ruth. And it seems in so doing made a convert of at least one of them. I don't know about, I don't know about Orpah as it continued. We lose her story. She goes back to her family after everybody dies. Naomi hears that there's food back in Israel, so they set forth out that way. But in her bitter weeping over the death of her husband and her boys, she says, go, I'm no good to you. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Orpah gives it a little bit of crying and and a little bit of fighting with her, but ultimately decides to go back. She wants to have children too. I mean, I think that's, The case for many women, not all, but many. She goes back. She goes back, presumably, to marry in in her family. She goes back to, presumably, grow into an older age and have a wonderful life. But Ruth, Ruth chooses a life of difficulty. Ruth chooses a life in which she will literally be poor. She chooses a life to be next to Naomi, her beloved mother-in-law, in which she will be an outcast in Israel. Why is that? Because Naomi has lost everything. In these days, only men could possess land and only men could inherit And so when her husband died, all the lands that they had still held in Israel would belong to her boys. When her boys died, that land was supposed to belong to their sons. But they had no sons. There was no hope for Naomi. There was no hope there for Ruth. All that was left for them was to be an abject uh, poverty. They were to be the poor who God commanded that they could go in and, and glean the corners of the fields, you know, pick out the grain from the corners so that they could survive. They were the ones that would be begging in the street for mercy. Now here's the deal. 
The end of the story ends up with this, that there is a male in the family that can redeem the land. They call him a kinsman redeemer. It's the closest male relative who can marry and claim that land. Now, theoretically, that kinsman redeemer could marry someone else related and not the one who lost the land, marry someone else and thus inherit it and take it over and those people would still be in poverty. This is why Boaz is such a good man. Not only does he see Ruth and Naomi in their poverty and command his people to leave even extra in the field so that it's not just the corners, but it's even more than they could have dared hope. But he also takes it upon himself to marry Ruth, to have that land, to bring it into the family, to preserve it for the future generations. Now, there's a lot going on in this. Like I said, it's basically a giant economics textbook of ancient Israel. But... God uses Ruth to show that he will use unlikely things to accomplish his purpose. He'll use death and destruction. He'll use Moabite pagans. He will use whatever it takes to accomplish his purpose. For you have to remember that Jesus is resting in the loins of Ruth and Boaz at this time. The coming Christ is within them. The coming Christ is there. And so God will use them in unlikely means to bring his Messiah, his son, the son of God into this world, to take on the sins of the world, to redeem them as Boaz redeemed the land, and to bring you into everlasting life with him. God uses unusual things. Now, some might take this sermon and think, you know, turn it into kind of a, a sermon on race and racism. And, and sure, you could probably do that there. But instead, I'd like for you to consider how it is that God uses you. Because to be honest, you're all a bunch of misfits. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what I get for calling you misfits. You talk all morning and then your voice goes. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're all a bunch of misfits. There we go. You are. How is it that God uses you? I mean, for many of you, most of you, you are brought to a font as a baby. What can you do for God? And in your life, you've messed up. You've sinned. Whether it's in how we've raised our children. Whether it's how we've treated people that we once called friends or co-workers. Whether it's how we talk about the people around us. We're misfits. Perhaps the biblical word for this is, you're all sinners. And so am I. There is no good in us. We are no better than some Moabite pagan who marries into the family and finds themselves 
surrounded by God. Actually, that's exactly it. Once you were fallen from grace, but soon you were united to the Christ in that wonderful thing that we look forward to, that marriage that we have as Christ and the church. You were joined together with Christ in your baptism. You were brought into the faith. You were made to believe in Him, just as Ruth was made to believe in God by faith. Her confession is much more faithful than Naomi's, isn't it? Your God shall be my God. And so it is for us that we look to our parents, to our friends here sitting in the pews, to the family that we have around us, and we say to them, your God will be my God. I am part of the community. I am an unlikely member of the household of faith, and yet I will never leave you. May God do more to me than that, if anything but death should part me from you. This is the claim of faith. This is the claim of your faith. That you know who you are. You know from where you come. You know what you've done. And yet you know that this is your God. The God found in word and font and altar. The God who comes to you and forgives your sins. The God who comes to you and promises and delivers to you everlasting life. Your God is here. How could you leave him? How could you forsake him? And of course you could not. For you belong to him. You are his chosen people. And God will use you to accomplish his marvelous purpose in this world. Have you considered that? God, he has used you, is using you, and will continue to use you to usher in the day of the coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming. And everything you do brings this day closer and closer. Not by your power, but because God has invited you to participate in the story of salvation. God has invited you to be a member of his household of faith. And everything you do contributes to the next generation. And if you think that you failed in that, well, just take a look back a few pews behind you. You're helping them right now, too. You're setting the example. God is using you, a misfit, a sinner, a Moabite pagan, a leper, a Samaritan, to bring about his purpose in this world, which is to save all people. For Christ has died for all, and he has died for you, to forgive your sins and bring you life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.